Are you a Christian, Julie? You know, I don't like that word. So that's why my arms went up in the air because <laughs> it's my least favorite question that you ask me. Um, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I really struggle with that because there's so many people who call themselves Christians that I don't like. Mm. So it's like, I don't like associating myself with a specific word because I don't think that defines you to use the word Christian. Hey friends, welcome to the Mark Explains the Universe podcast. Uh, This is a podcast where we talk about faith and science and life and space and hope and love and physics in the human body and sex and atoms and aliens and the human connection and basically all things life. I am your host, Mark, and I just want to thank you so much for joining me today on uh, this episode number five, which is uh, part two of The Uncensored Christian. Now, if you haven't yet, make sure to head on over to iTunes or Podbean and subscribe to this bi-weekly podcast. Uh, You can search Mark Explains on either one of those platforms. Um, And also remember to go to Instagram and follow us. Uh, You can find us mark.explains and also on Facebook at facebook.com slash markexplainspodcast. Um, I will be releasing some fun new content here in the near future, so you don't want to miss out on that. Also, I wanted to let you know that we will be having a great friend of mine on the show here in just a couple of weeks. His name is Corey Baker. He is a motivational speaker and a health and nutrition coach, and he actually just recently wrote a book called Chasing Better, which you can actually pre-order on Amazon right now uh, on paperback or digital copy. And uh, this will be out in the next uh, in the next week, I think, in bookstores everywhere. Now, initially, we were going to break uh, this episode, uh, The Uncensored Christian, into p- two parts. Part one being Ashlyn Blythe's story, as well as Lauren Kuyper's story, and part two being about my story and Julie's story. But we have actually a little surprise for you all. We're actually uh, going through all of this recording. We realized that Julie's story, it was just so dense, and there was so much good stuff that we felt like needed to stay. So we actually broke this episode into part two two being about Julie and part three being my story. So there's actually two more parts. We feel that this is much more manageable uh, if the stories are broken up into two shorter podcasts versus one very long podcast. So this one we decided to release a day early today on Monday and uh, part three we will release tomorrow. So you'll actually get two podcasts. So you really don't want to miss out on these stories. These uh, these are really, really incredible. Um, please be advised, though, that this episode does talk about sexual assault. Uh, so please do what you need to do to, to prepare for any trigger points uh, during this conversation. Um, there is also some language that some might consider offensive in this episode, but we certainly don't find it offensive. In fact, all things are welcome here at the Mark Explains podcast. So I hope you find all the love and life in this episode, part two of the Uncensored Christian uh, with Julie Lynn uh, here on the Mark Explains podcast. Julie, I can see you. Can you hear me? I, it's actually I can hear you better. You sound good. Great. You, you don't even have to hold the microphone like like a weirdo. Well, I just I have a zipper here, and I felt like it got caught, and I was like, "That's bad." And then 
I thought about taking off my vest and then I realized I'd be like stripping on this Skype <laughs> session and like I just didn't know what to do, so I just held the microphone <laughs> and alleviate <laughs> any of that. Oh my god. Uh, <laughs> I hope you don't cut that out too. <laughs> I hope that stays as well. Oh my gosh. Can you please please take off your vest? <laughs> during this during this Skype call about how God has changed in our lives. <laughs> no, but I unzipped it enough that oh. I feel like it's not going to touch anymore. No, that's great. So you have you kind of have a different story than Ashlyn does. Um, I, you, were you raised as religious as I mean, in like a you know in a religious ideology in a in a community where being you know like you're born into it so it you don't think about it it's just second nature or or did you come into it at a later time because i i don't know if i know that much about you about your 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 young days no um so this is kind of funny so um i wasn't it wasn't something that was in our home or like just all you knew um it was all my friends did so i kind of like i remember being like oh i wish i was catholic so i could get like catechism like all my friends do um but really my grandma used to come and stay in the summers and i would go with her to her weird baptist church and weird is not about being baptist but the church itself was weird but i really just went to do arts and crafts that's really and then uh, my parents got a divorce i was 11 my mom started going to church and she took us but she didn't ever force us so for me faith was always it was a choice going to church was a choice mm. and she encouraged it. You know, she embodied and, and made it very clear that it gave her purpose, but she didn't force us on that. So, okay. So you were, you were raised, uh, that it was there if you wanted to, it wasn't like, uh, a life threatening choice. If you didn't go, you weren't going to hell no. or anything like that. No. Yeah. It wasn't spoon fed. It wasn't anything like that. It was, it was a conscious choice. Like, you know, do you like ketchup? Do you like God? <laughs> <laughs> Only with my French fries. <laughs> <laughs> so, so where does your story pick up then? If I were to ask you, tell me the story. Well, what, well, would you, what would you tell me? The podcast version would be that like, I chose it and I, and I, it gave me, I think it gave me something to root myself in. And I really believed, you know, like what <clears throat> I think what the Bible and, and Jesus called us to do, which was really to be good people. And um, I think that church gave me something safe. It really felt safe. At what age? Me. At what age did you choose? Let's not do the podcast um, version. Why don't you do the tell me oh. behind closed doors story? I didn't really have a lot of what any of you have experienced in terms of like people using scripture to like tell you you're wrong or out of place. Um, I did experience sexual assault on multiple different occasions in my life. And it definitely like brought in this sense of like lack of worth. And the one thing that gave me worth was God and going to church on Sunday. And like, I knew that. Like, I knew it. I knew that I was smart. I knew that I could run well. But those things really didn't matter because when I went on Sunday with my burned DVD in my vehicle with my little sister, I was safe. Mm. And that was like, mm -hmm. I had a couple hours of it. 
every week. And I think I managed my life otherwise. Um, went to college. Um, kind of now that I hear other people's stories, not just your guys's, but like generally. Um, I went to church every Saturday night as a college student. And apparently that's super rare because I went to Michigan State, which is a pretty like drinking party school. And then looking back, I was also my friend's DD. And like when they wanted to day drink, I made them pancakes and waffles before they went to go to the bar. God, you're I such a great in. friend. I Dude, know. I was like a great friend. But <laughs> time, like I was the lame friend and like God bless my friends for loving me. But like at the same time, I had my routine and my roommate, Stephanie, still one of my, the soulmates of my life. We met in seventh grade, but we went to church every Saturday night and we had roomy night. And honestly, God, after church, we would sit and drink hot tea and talk about it. Like, like, like your mom's dream of when they send you to college. Like that was me. Um, but I had, I had holes, but again, God was safe. Like, God was really, really safe for me. I was a counselor at a Christian camp. Um, that camp in itself started to, to cause some deconstruction because um, they wanted us to preach this, this one certain thing. It was very prescribed. And so what they wanted was for counselors to be authentic, but authentic to an extent. And that didn't really work for me. Um, not at all, actually. So I used to hold little secret sessions. <laughs> like, it sounds so so taboo, so bad. Well, we hid. We used to. We hid in the attic of a, the chapel once, and we got stuck there for five hours because then, like, people came into the chapel and we couldn't get down from the attic. <laughs> um, yeah, but I would let them ask me whatever questions I wanted, and a lot of these teenagers like wanted to know about premarital sex. And they wanted to know about, like, how to actually be a good person when you go to college. And I had engaged in premarital sex. So, you know, I explained to them that, you know, you can never have sex without emotion. Like, that's a load of bullshit people give you. But, you know, sex exists for a reason. But it was this weird thing where, like, I wasn't like, don't do that till you're married because I am not a hypocrite. So, um, needless to say, the church camp did not invite me back. Um, so they found out. Yeah, I may have gotten in a little bit of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, might I just say, like right off the bat, the church overtly does a terrible job addressing sex and mm -hmm. what sex mm -hmm. should be Horrible. and what mm -hmm. sex is and masturbation and and overly emphasizes all of these like tab taboo culture on it so Absolutely. much yeah. that they're like, this is so bad. We can't even touch it. So, mm -hmm. so you shouldn't either. And yeah. It, so I didn't handle it perfectly. Right. But I knew that what they were telling me to say was a lie. So it wasn't a lie, but it definitely wasn't what I'd done. So I couldn't sit there and like tell these high schoolers to do something that I didn't do. And I was actively not engaging in. So so you were trying to be a good human and you were going to this counselor or you're going to this camp as a counselor and you were basically being super real with these kids because they were asking questions that they should be asking. Yes. And the camp got mad at you for being real. 
yeah. and answering questions that their parents probably should have been answering but weren't because this is Christianity and we right. do a great job at avoiding anything that's really really culturally taboo in any capacity. We really like to be non-confrontational. Non-confrontational. So I, uh, I came back from camp. Um, I was engaging in emotional affair with a guy who was 13 years older than me with three kids and was a pastor and I think because he was a pastor he was safe. He, right, he fit in that bubble of safe. So, I had no relationship with my dad. I had a mom that worked her ass off, but really wasn't around present a lot. And I was an adult when I was eleven. Mm-hmm. So, you kind of don't know what you're doing, obviously, when you're eleven and you're pretending to be an adult. And then I had this confidence because I'd been doing it for so long. That I thought I knew what I was doing. Um, came back from the church camp and started dating, um, who's now my ex-husband. We dated, we got married. Um, and that really turned into very purposeful and meticulous manipulation. And he had three kids. He did. So I was an instant stepmom. I, to this mm. day, loved, loved my stepdaughters. Hmm. They were wonderful. They were um, in the darkest, darkest times in those years. They were the light. Hmm. Hmm. So, um, ladies, if you're listening to this, you guys were light. Um, but I was an easy target. I mean, I was 21. I had no relationship with my dad. Um, and God was safe. And he, in hindsight, he wasn't my perfect match. He was my perfect patch. He asked mm-hmm. yeah. all the the holes I had of not having a relationship with my dad and growing up too fast um, to my own. Again, that wasn't my mom did not push me to do that. Like, mom, if you hear this, you never push me. Um, and that manipulation, um, it covered every source of my identity, how I looked, how I thought, how I felt my relationship with God, my ability to be a, a, a mother, even though I was a stepmom, right? I just, it, everything I ever dreamed of being in life, it covered it. And it didn't just cover it, it changed it. And it was slow. And it was a slow breakdown of my view of myself. And then of my view of God and then of how God viewed me. Hmm. Um, so to have my view of God and Christianity controlled by somebody else, and to have it go from safe to consistently not enough, that was never enough. Like there was nothing I could do to ever be enough in this situation. Um, I didn't know enough scripture. I didn't know God enough. I didn't have enough depth. Um, I didn't have enough self-control. So funny, Mark, because I don't even know now that we're sitting here that I've ever shared this with you. Um, It was like maybe the first or second time you came over for a dinner at my house. You left. And my ex was like, well, you only want Mark and Juji here because you want Mark. And you're such a heathen and all of this. And like, 
we were married church friends. Like I, we went to church where Mark was the worship leader and like pretty much any time a man entered the household, like I was a sexual heathen and like I I could go to the ends of time, but it got to the point where I slept maybe, maybe on a good night, five hours a night. Um, Wow. Leaned only weighed 109 pounds. And like, I remember getting on a scale and thought like, I made it. I've done it. I weigh the right amount. I look what I should look like. I've got this, I've got this house thing down to a science, man. Nobody does their own laundry. Nobody worries where their soccer Jersey is. My ex didn't ever have to be concerned if he had shorts to run in a day. Nobody worried about breakfast, lunch or dinner. And I just didn't sleep. And I remember being like, God, am I enough yet? Am I enough yet? Mm. And it just, Mm. the issue was, is that my perception of God by that point was so manipulated by my partner's view of what he determined how God saw me. Mm. Um, It was just broken. Um, There, from there, I mean, you're talking about a lot of insecurities, a lot of emotional abuse, a lot of controlling, um, I wasn't okay. I just, I, I barely physically existed. I barely emotionally existed. I barely mentally existed. And at that point, you at at that you're at the mercy of a narcissist's control. Mm-hmm. Um, but more than that, more than a narcissist, he was a pastor. Wow. And he was a father of three daughters, and I ended up kind of becoming the fourth daughter because I still in a relationship with my dad and not only that I didn't have a relationship with anybody because my mom was sitting across from me telling me look at yourself look in the mirror you need to leave you need to go and I would wind up going home and telling him that and he would say oh looks like you can't talk to your mom anymore and I lost all my friends lost everybody I knew I lost myself and it got to the point where um, I lost my God hmm. and my safety. And I became essentially a body that like um, was there for a sexual presence, minimally prescribed three times a week. Like it's just this crazy thing. It, it touched into my sexuality. Everything I saw about myself, hmm. it was gone. And I finally broke down. And um, I would pray and cry and weep as quiet as possible because if my ex knew, it was another source of control. Hmm. It was another thing. It was another fight. Um, I just prayed that God either took me in my sleep or saved me. And I literally wanted to die in those days. I was like, everybody would be better off. Like me, everybody around me just, um, I didn't have the the will to to ever consider taking myself, but I wanted God to decide. I was just like, God, I, I showed up for you and I chose you. I picked you, you weren't spoon fed to me. And if there's anything for all of my years of devotion, if you could just 
save me or kill me, that would be awesome. Like, for everything I gave to you in my world, just do one or the other because I can't do, I can't do this anymore. I can't exist in this world anymore. At some point after that, you know, it was like a booming loud voice. And I've talked about, like, I don't know if it was that I pushed God so far away that he got to be loud in my head or if it was my subconscious finally came to because I've definitely contemplated both over the years. Um, but I woke up on a random Tuesday and, you know, left with $32 and 14 cents in my bank account. Um, and I was angry. I was abused and I was alone. I had friends that um, were there, silently there. Um, Judy, who is married to Mark, was one of them. She um, was just a light in the dark. So was my friend Laura. Both of them were like, um, they didn't push me. A lot of friends pushed me to leave when they could see how bad it was and they abandoned me when I, when I wasn't ready to leave um, but they didn't, the two of them did not and they were kind of the light in my world because um, when you walk away from a situation which I was in you're the black sheep and I remember I remember I didn't, I wanted to keep it private and I was so ashamed that I failed. I failed as a wife. I failed as a Christian. I failed as a stepmom. I failed as a woman. I mean, I failed in in every way imaginable because my entire identity was tied up in this manipulation and in this control and this emotional abuse. And um, I didn't know how to see myself. And then when other people I mean, I walked through the mire on Lake Lansing Road. I'll never, ever forget it. And I ran into people from our old church, and I thought maybe they saw it too. And maybe they saw from the outside looking in what I had been going through. And they looked at me like I was a whore. And I was pretty quiet. My ex tried to make it sound like I was this adulteress and I'd slept around. And I think a lot of that was a pretty easy story to tell, being that we had 13 years of separation and I was young. Mm -hmm. And the way he could portray it was that I was obsessed with my body image. So yeah. Julie, just... Go ahead. Sorry, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt. I just, I was curious, you said a few minutes ago that you woke up on a Tuesday and something just clicked. I'm I'm just curious, um, as being somebody that finally had that, like, clicking moment where it was like, I don't know how to explain it, but a line was drawn in the sand. Like, what what was that moment for you? What, what clicked? What was going on in um. your head? So my ex had a lot of women that worked for him who were young and attractive. And um, there was um, some infidelity there. Um, and 
it was always hidden and it was always under this guise that I was a jealous, horrible individual, which in hindsight, I would walk out the door on any motherfucker that tried to treat me like that again. But that aside, um, one of those girls was invited over for dinner and she was in my house eating dinner in my living room and I just that you cooked yeah so it was just um and I think he knew I was ready to go because it was the first time in our entire relationship in seven years that he ever catered to me he actually like brought me a glass of wine and it's like little plate of cut up cheese and crackers almost like a peace offering like please don't leave and I remember like I remember crying and he was like, well, we'll, we'll talk later. And I remember when he gave it to me, me being like, what the actual fuck am I doing here? And like, that was Monday night. <laughs> um, well, this girl was like sitting in my living room eating fajitas with like the guise of a few other individuals. Cause you never invited your mistress over. Like with just, just her, you definitely invited a group to try and hide it. So they were eating fajitas downstairs. I'll never forget it because one of them like Snapchatted it, and I was so angry that there was like a Snapchat of like the cast there and panic. Like, you get angry about weird shit. But anyways, um, yeah, yeah. And I just he uh, he came to bed that night, and um, I think he knew that I was that I was different. And I mean that makes sense. As somebody who is a master manipulator, you definitely know when your subject is, like, on the out. Done. Yeah. And he cried, and he held me, and he was like, I know I've abused you. I know I took advantage of your situation with your dad. And it was almost like his last-ditch effort to... The talons isn't a strong enough word. I don't know. It's like an IV drip into my veins of, like... Sure, manipulation. It's like an infusion of it. But um, I remember him crying and him admitting that he had emotionally abused me for years. And him saying how horribly he felt, how guilty he felt. Um, and yet that's another form of manipulation. Right. Which it was. And very interesting, if he's listening to this today or anybody else that knows him, he denies it to this day. And, like, that moment definitely happened, <laughs> not only because I'm a live human being with a memory bank. Um, he admitted it at some point in our divorce. But beyond that, like, that was – it was such blatant manipulation that it it didn't trick me. It was almost like when somebody's handing you a plate of food and they're like, no, no, it's brownies. But you're like, that's fucking broccoli. That's broccoli. <laughs> like, I'm I'm now 11. You can't trick me. I'm not four years old anymore. I don't know. Like it, and it was so quick. And it was, he could have never seen it coming. He could have never seen the shift in my mind coming. And that to me, and I don't know because I really struggled. And that was really angry at God for a very, very long time. Um, you know, my, my mom likes to believe that that was like God shifting me that quick because if it had been any slower he might have caught on hmm. and he might have um been able to keep up with my shift um also to all the credit in the world 
We had a great marriage counselor, and um, so be it. He couldn't make it that week, and my marriage counselor sat me down, looked me dead square in the face, and was like, you're being abused, and you need to leave, but we need to plot you leaving. My marriage counselor. Um, But once pretty much my marriage counselor said that, I was like, oh, I should leave. And it was like a light switch. Like, it was really, I. there was no seeing otherwise. Um, and yeah, so it was that Monday night of the, the serving of the wine and the cheese. And that Monday I had gone to the marriage counselor and he said that. And Tuesday I left with a duffel bag and $32 and 14 cents. Wow. So, um, but from there, my breakdown with God, like I was pretty firm with God for a while. I was like, Nope, God did this for me. And as people in the church, and again, the church was safe through my parents' divorce, through everything, throughout this entire story, the church was safe until my ex made it not safe. As the people of the place I thought were safe slowly met me with just this these eyes that will forever burn in my soul to never do to anybody. Mm. Yeah. um, As if I was a horrible human for choosing myself. Mm. Finally. um, Will never, it just shook me. I like, I've, I've gone into the four walls of a church once since. And I nearly had an anxiety attack, but what does your faith look like now it's very virtual um (laughs) and a lot no i mean i think that god uh, i think god meets you where he meets you yeah i'm not laughing i'm not laughing i'm 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 not laughing at that i'm laughing at the fact that like virtual is uh it's it's ambiguous so i like you're like oh it's a virtual but you're meaning in a literal sense like you watch church on your computer virtually that's why i was laughing that's why i was laughing um i would also venture to say i mean i started running marathons um oh yeah julie I, runs marathons yeah fun fact um at first i did it out of spite for my ex because he said i could never do it and pretty much anything that man said i could never do i've like tried to go out and do aside from fix my car which like i'm like Mark. <laughs> Please, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. Like, I could try this. But, like, I refinished furniture. I painted walls. I tried to build things. Like, you ran, I tried to do- you ran the Boston Marathon. Multiple times. Like, Three I did times. everything that man told me I couldn't do. I was like, I will do that tenfold. Um, and I would say, first and foremost, God met me on the roads. Mm-hmm. Um, even today and yesterday... I ran to worship music, Christian music. That was my first step back in. Was like, I don't even know how it came on my shuffle back in the day, but like it did. Um, And I'm very, very empowered. And I lose myself in running to worship music. Mm -hmm. I forget. I I could very easily run 12 miles to worship music and not know I'm doing it. Um, I try to dabble in churches in Michigan and I just think I, the pot was too close to the flame. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I moved to Chicago. I had a very similar experience that you did, Lauren, when you mentioned going into your apartment in Nashville. When I moved into that apartment in Chicago, I just wept because for the first time in my life, my ex-husband couldn't find me. Yeah. Um, he couldn't follow me home. He, he couldn't find my address. He couldn't. I was too far away, finally. Mm-hmm. But, no one else could overshadow God. It was just you and God. That was uh, it. I joined it, like, uh, joined is very loose because I went once, but I watched it online. Um <laughs> <laughs> Churches in Chicago, um, and it was suggested by both my coworker and my physical therapist because I had broken my leg, and then I moved to Chicago. But anyways, long story short, I felt like God finally spoke and was like, "This is this is for you. This church is for you. Just do it however you want." So now, yes, I listen on either Sunday or Monday, um, but I think. I'm dipping my toes in. I'm finally starting to contemplate what God means to me outside of the manipulation of anybody else. And um, it's interesting because I listened to our podcast from last week and I thought a lot about um, what both of your stories said about what other people and how other people influence your opinion of God and how your own childhood experience or your life experience influences your opinion of God and I realized it wasn't somebody else's words or somebody else's like opinion it was purposeful and meticulous manipulation mm-hmm. of me and where I was in life and my safety net in God and I have to be very um, specific about that to remind myself of that in order to grow because if I'm not that raw and honest you can wind up in a place of kind of moseying along and not actually being real with yourself I'll be honest Julie like there's some like throughout your story um, there were questions that I had and uh, Mark actually texts me to say, like, why aren't you asking, you know, like, what, like, you got to speak up. I think he could tell, like, my, I was just kind of burning with some questions. And I can certainly ask him. I just feel like you're, what you went through, um, from my perspective, like, I don't, I, I don't even know how to say this. Like, I just don't want it to seem, um, I don't know if insensitive is the right word. I guess so. I'll just ask. I guess the one that's on my mind that I'm really curious, and I don't want to make your whole story about your ex-husband because it's not, right? Your whole story is about you and your interaction with God through that and and how, you know, you came out on the other side. And uh, But the thing that I guess just I just really want to know about is how did you – so you're this really strong – willed person and that's that's very clear just from you know spending these couple of evenings talking to you um you know going back to the youth camp you you defied you know what what they wanted you to talk about and that like the fact that you're you have that personality type and you have that strength it makes me curious um about 
you know, being in this relationship. And, and I know that there are lots of women in relationships like this uh, all over the world and many in the church, probably disproportionately so. Um, so you're in this relationship that's abusive and that's horrifying. And I know Lauren asked you about the point when you decided to leave. I'm curious about what kept you there. Not because, and again, like that's coming from a, from a, a man. I just don't like, maybe it's, I just don't understand. And I really want to, um, you know, how, because you, you are a strong person and you, you make, uh, strong decisions and, and through that process, you know, what, what was it that kept you in that? No, no, that is a question I've gotten a lot. So that's not uh, any of the things you were worried about. Um, why I stayed. Um, I think it had a lot to do with my upbringing. Um, again, love my mom. Right. Um, but I think as somebody who really lacked a father figure, marrying somebody that was 13 years older and who was a pastor and all those things kind of, that's why I say he was my patch and not my match. Um, and then I wanted, I wanted the dream as a child of divorce, as somebody who believed in God and the sanction of marriage. I wanted it. I wanted the whole kitten caboodle. And um, once I said I do, I I fought for that at the loss of myself. And um, I'll also say, and I think it's important, um, this kind of manipulation can take somebody from the strongest will to the weakest of weak because mm-hmm. it's slow and over seven years and it's these little little things like over time like it was everything from we would talk about the story of Abraham and I wouldn't know the exact scripture or the exact words I mean the exact words and he would say um you don't know you just you just don't know the scripture you just like depth or if I over, I mean, going to another avenue of life, if I overindulged on food or order too much, it was like, well, you lack self-control. And that's why you don't look a certain way. And I'm attracted to women that look a certain way. And so it just, it's so s- slow that I think that unless you've, been in it or been through it it's it's very hard from the outside to see how somebody could go from like somebody who saw themselves as kind of like a christian revolutionary with youth to um silent and submissive and even now it's so interesting because you said we've spent you know time talking and you just don't see that people i meet today and people i'm friends with don't see it don't know it don't understand it um, which makes Mark one of like my rare friendships and I have a few of them maybe a five of them that it was the end of the, the time and Mark knew me when I was in the depths of the low and through now today and I actually remember Mark 
Mark and I used to actually sit on the floor and eat dinner when everybody else didn't. And we were Mark floor was sitters. like, used to call us floor sitters. We we're floor sitters. And then um, Mark said to me one time, because every time Mark and Juju would come over for dinner, we were engaging in like adult conversation and, and, um, but I was always doing something. I never stopped moving, always doing something, whether it was dishes or cooking or folding laundry or something. And I remember Mark and I were sitting on the floor one time, we were all chatting. And Mark said, do you ever stop? Do you ever not do things and just relax? And I'll never forget my ex answered. And he said, oh, she relaxes. And I remember sitting there in agony, like, no. <laughs> no, aside from like the couple hours I sleep, no. And even then, I'm like crying out to God to save me. But um, I think Ashlyn, like, it's so slow that it's really hard to describe. You can go from one of the spectrum to the other. And that's why I describe it as purposeful and meticulous. Mm. So for me, I think the thread that ties all of these stories together is that all of us had to make a decision about what we believed and what we no longer believed about God and about the church while we were in our weakness, while things were hard, while we were in a difficult, weak season. In Acts chapter 16, Famously, there's a story where Paul and Silas are in prison. In verse 16, it says, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met... Shit, that's not where I wanted to start. I'm leaving the cuss word in there. (laughs) Verse 25 says, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now, I'm not going to claim that what I just read is a historical fact. I don't know. Um, But what sticks out to me about this story, about what the author said, uh, is that it's midnight and these guys are in prison. And the choice that Paul makes is to sing. I, I know that that would not be my choice. Um, that, that's not what I would do. I think it's interesting that that's what the author said, that, that Paul chose to sing. And, and what's even more crazy than being in prison at midnight and singing is that an earthquake comes and, and it breaks everyone's chains and and it frees these guys from prison. My point in reading this and talking about the story is not that somehow we are entitled to some miracle from God to to free us from prison or um, that we should expect that from God. My point here is really that I think when midnight comes, when we're in prison, when things suck, we need to make a choice and that's what happens in these four stories we all make a choice when things are hard 
the question is, what do you believe about God when things are hard? I don't want to tell anyone anymore what they should believe. That's not my place. I'm not qualified. But what I do think we should all do is ask ourselves that question. What I think our stories reveal the most is that a moment had to come for us when we stepped away from tradition, when we stepped away from what other people told us we should believe, and we asked ourselves, what is our theology? What do we believe about God when it's midnight, when we're in prison in our lives? So that concludes part two of the Uncensored Christian here on the Mark Explains podcast. Please join us tomorrow for part three. It's going really, really, it's going to be a great one. Uh, This is Mark sending love and light to all of you and to every human on this planet.